Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And Chris, the Mets just completed a road trip that saw them go to Arizona, San Diego, and Baltimore. They took two of three from Arizona, they took two of four from San Diego, and they took one of two from Baltimore. Looking at this road trip... I mean, first of all, the, the Mets came out with a winning record on the road trip, which is what you want from a road trip, obviously. They are still in first place, still, I believe, have a three-and-a-half game lead in first place. And so things are pretty good in Mets land. What makes it slightly less good in Mets land is if you look at that road trip, you can point to a couple of games that the Mets would have absolutely won had they not, I mean, at least in one instance, start uh, David Peterson or had you know a little bit of bad bullpen luck but overall I I feel pretty good about the road trip do you have any sort of strong feelings coming off the road trip um mostly the same I think that the moment of it that I was like okay you know I don't want to I don't want to see too much negativity is when they came out of San Diego losing the first two and then winning the third and the fourth games to split that series so Um, yeah, and then splitting the series in Baltimore, obviously you, you always hope to sweep a team like that, but in total, they've taken three out of four from Baltimore this year, and that's fine. Right. You know, it's it's frustrating because it's almost like you could 
have predicted the the David Peterson pitches against Baltimore result just be, just by looking at the way he's pitched lately. And it's frustrating when you look at your starting rotation and you see a game that more or less you're guaranteed to lose. Now, the Mets wound up winning Peterson's start in Arizona in kind of insane fashion. You know, they jumped on Madison Bumgarner to start the game, and then Peterson didn't even get out of the first inning. He looked so bad, but the Mets were able to chip away against a bad team. But are we at the point where we feel like David Peterson doesn't deserve a spot in the Mets rotation? We're going to talk about who would replace him in a minute. Just I want to talk first about just the general idea. Do we feel that Peterson is out as as the uh, as the fifth starter right now, or the fourth starter actually? Right. right, and and we know Luis Rojas said that he's going to take the next turn in the rotation. Um, but if it were up to me, I'd get him to Syracuse for his next start or two, just just to get him sort of back on track. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it is that that he needs to work on right now. Uh, maybe it's just an issue of, of consistency and confidence. Um, you know, we, we've seen him throw some pretty good major league starts, but in, in the last couple and, and for too many of his starts, you know, the majority of his starts at this point, he has not gone five innings. Um, he, he's gone fewer than four in several of those. And when you already have Joey Lucchese in a rotation spot as somebody who you're kind of planning for maybe five innings out of as like the best case scenario, it's tough to do that in another rotation spot where you just have such a big question mark. Um, so I don't know. It, I don't know if Jared Eikhoff or um, Thomas Zapucky give you a higher probability of this sort of thing. But, uh, you know, if if somebody could be in that rotation spot, even if it's temporary, uh, whether it's somebody from the minors or somebody they trade for, and they could give you five, maybe occasionally six innings, uh, even if it's a 4.50 to like five-ish ERA type of guy, um, you know, this, this offense has started to – awaken i think and it's not fully healthy yet but it is capable of of winning games uh like that and so yeah in that sense i don't think peterson is like not a major league pitcher he's 25 it's just way too soon to to make any big conclusions about him but uh as a fan i am ready for a little bit of a break and (laughs) I, I don't know. Guys with much longer track records and and more success have been optioned to the minors to work on things. Um, so in isolation, I, I really think it would be good for him and good for the team and and good for the bullpen too. Um, you know they've they've stepped up with all the innings they've had to pitch. Um, you know the Mets are still trailing all, all pretty much every other team in baseball in terms of games played because of all the various reasons they had games postponed to start the year. But that's going to change real quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, so if you look right now, they might not – the Mets bullpen might not look like, oh, they've, they've pitched so much, but relative to the number of games they've played, 
Um, they sure have. So, yeah. Uh, and look, Peterson could go out there in his next start and throw six, seven innings, and and we know he's capable of that. But when your last two starts have averaged an inning and a half, <laughs> it's perfectly reasonable for people to be concerned. Yeah, I, I think the concern is certainly warranted. And I think in general, he hasn't done enough this season to keep the spot. You know, you and I ha have been on record as probably the two most vocal Sean Reed Foley fans on the internet. Um, but it seems insane to me that with both Peterson and Lucchese in the rotation, you're not going to have Gazelman and Reed Foley ready to take those extra innings that seemingly always need to be taken. And I think that that would be a move the Mets could make today. They could send down Drew Smith, as we talked about last time. And no offense to Drew Smith. I think Smith has a long Mets career ahead of him. But right now, he has options, and the Mets need a bulk guy out of the bullpen. And I think that if we had Reed Foley essentially piggybacking with Peterson, that you tell Reed Foley, okay, you are the first man out of the bullpen for every Peterson start, and you're going minimum two innings. I would feel much better about those starts because – you know that whenever you pull him, you have now a, a game plan in there. I would do the same thing with Gazelman and uh, Lucchese. Just, you know, it, it's essentially a piggyback start, but you don't know exactly how long the first guy's going to go for. I also think if Peterson goes five innings or Lucchese goes five innings and they're decent, you pull them anyway. I know this is a big point of contention with Mets fans when Lucchese had a couple of starts where he looked pretty strong through four or five innings and then he was pulled. I understand the desire to have Lucchese be a seven-inning pitcher, but the track record simply doesn't bear that out. And I think right now when you know that Stroman and Walker and DeGrom are basically penciled in for minimum six innings, and all of them have looked so good lately, you know what two games your bullpen is going to be used for. So you save those long relief arms for those games, and you basically say you get us through four or five innings, and then you're done. Unless you're pitching a no-hitter or something of the like, I think you have to pull those guys. Do you disagree with that? Uh, no. No, no. I'm, I'm totally with you there. It's... Uh... You got to get out on top and you have to know when that is with your pitchers. And I think, look, no no team, no front office, no manager is ever going to get it perfect. Uh, sometimes, sometimes a guy's going to fall apart sooner than he normally would or sooner than you pick up on in a game. And sometimes a guy, although you can't ever prove this, might have been better than going to the bullpen uh, <laughs> at the time that you do. But when you have that opportunity to identify things uh, and with Lucchese, it's, it's fairly clear cut. Uh, and, and I'd have a similar approach with Peterson too, where it's just, it's, it's a balancing act and, and you're, you're doing it all the time with starting pitchers, but you're also trying to balance workload um, coming off a, a year where nobody played a full season. And, you know, in the case of anybody who wasn't on a major league roster, they didn't play at all. Uh, so it's, I don't know, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, those in-game decisions don't have a lot to do with that bigger picture. And 
you know, uh, preserving Lucchese for potential like playoff starts is not exactly what I mean here, but um, there's a lot to consider. And I'm okay with erring on the side of caution with the starters because, uh, and I think it's been, you know, we we talked about it over the offseason coming into the season. It's been talked about on the broadcast um, and, and probably throughout baseball, you know, not just Mets fans or broadcasters thinking this way, but that adjustment from a very abbreviated season to a full one, at some point, I just feel like pitchers are going to hit a wall. And it doesn't mean that, like, they're all going to get hurt badly or, you know, or be shut down on innings limits or any of that kind of thing. But um, I, I could see everybody just kind of getting a little exhausted by the middle of the season because, I, I don't know, it's uh, maybe not the perfect running analogy, but it's like you trained for and ran a 5K last year, and now you're you in a know. marathon. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, that a little bit of a tangent there, but I, I would, I'm okay with even even Degrom, even Stroman. You know, there have been a couple times like, oh man, I want I want him in there a little bit longer, but I'm I'm not getting upset by a slightly early hook. Um. So yeah, with with the lesser forty percent of the rotation, um, I'm okay with get him out of there a little early. And it, it really helps that somebody like Taiwan Walker has been fantastic. Uh, you know, throw seven great innings against Baltimore uh, last night in his re- most recent start. You know, that that is the team can hit. Um, they're just bad because they can't pitch, you know. So he deserves credit for that. You know, he, he, he's given the Mets the kind of outings that really help to take some pressure off the bullpen and it's you know a night after the first game of the series where peterson puts them in that spot that uh gazelman barnes and uh and smith have to soak up the rest of that game none of them looked great by the way right but that's look they're gonna they're gonna make games like that right that just happens right yeah and uh but yeah, coming off that game, it's nice to to have a game where you, you're like, oh, okay, um, you know, Familia and Lugo could use some work. Uh, that is a nice luxury to have in a blowout. That like, <laughs> you know, let let's plan for a day off and then going into a series against the Padres, uh, who you know are a, a good team, and the Mets went toe to toe with them in San Diego. Um, and they start the series with DeGrom and Stroman on, on Friday and Saturday here. So I'm optimistic going in. Uh, you know, obviously the Padres are capable of doing some damage. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think uh, there's still been a little bit of doom and gloom about the series. And, and I'm just, I don't know. I, I watched the one last weekend. Didn't, it didn't go so bad. <laughs> so I, I, I can't go into it with uh, their you know, first and then like tied for second best starter uh, and not have some optimism about it. Yeah, I I think that's very fair. I mean, you know, DeGrom is having a historically great season as we've talked about over and over again. And every start just reinforces that, you know, if 
I, I could spend an hour talking about how great DeGrom has looked this season, but I could spend 40 minutes talking about how great Stroman and Walker have looked too. I mean, I think that those three guys together represent probably the top three in baseball right now for any team. Can you think of a team that has a better top three? Mm, in terms of current the, production. Right, yeah, not, not off the top of my head. I mean, the, the Dodgers, as much as I hate to sort of compliment strictly from a pitching performance standpoint, Trevor Bauer, <laughs> the Dodgers just come to mind as like, uh, the, the, you know, a potential sure. source uh, for that. And the, the Giants, too, have sort of worked out some magic with um, – you know, Gaussman's had a had a great start to his season, and a couple of their other starters have been good. But I don't know. When you look at the uh, top thirty in baseball and ERA, I, I don't think any other team has three pitchers on it, let alone uh, three in the, in the top fourteen, which right. is where Stroman ranks. Um, Bauer is, you know, hundreds of of, of a, a point back. Of uh, of Stroman and ERA, they both you know they're virtually tied, but Stroman is slightly ahead. So yeah, it's it's a hell of an anchor to the rotation, you know, to have three guys that are that good when when the other two are as I don't know inconsistent right. slash bad. <laughs> and I I understand, you know, I was talking to my father in law who's a big Mets fan the other day, and and he said that he does not want the team to necessarily go out and trade for a starter because he feels like there's not enough depth in the minors to get somebody good without giving up a piece that will hurt. And the major league team is all pretty effective right now, so you don't want to flip any of those guys. And he believes that Carrasco and Syndergaard will be back at some point. He he was saying, Syndergaard, you almost really can't count on, but he thinks that one more starter in Carrasco is enough for the Mets. You can make you can make do with Peterson or with Lucchese as your fifth starter if Carrasco is there. And while I don't disagree with that, I just think that the Mets have an opportunity right now to not put the division away because it's way too early for that. But if they get an, if they can acquire an, another starter that is league average at best, I guess they will be a just a much more formidable team. You know, looking at the series against the uh, Padres, if you knew that the third starter was somebody, you know, considerably better than Lucchese, you'd probably feel very confident going into the series. You know, but just with with Lucchese and, and Peterson, I just can't feel too confident. So I know you have looked at some potential trade targets for the Mets. Is there anybody that stands out for you as a as a starting pitcher that maybe would be a realistic get that wouldn't that wouldn't significantly that we wouldn't be having to deal somebody who will hurt the team in the future for their loss. Yeah, so um the the sort of constant twins connection I have <laughs> in in my fandom um it, that's where I look because they're a team that although they're not quite the Rays or the Pirates in terms of spending it, they're a little on the uh, reluctant side to spend, and they are terrible right now. They just came in with expectations of winning the division or at the very least being a serious wild card contender, uh, and it's just been a miserable year 
uh, for them. And uh, anything's possible. Uh, you know, we've seen the Mets make some surges late in the season and turn things around. But I'd have to think that uh, Michael Pineda, uh, Jay Happ, you know, you're not you're not talking about guys that are making a ton of money, but it's enough that like like Pineda's making ten, Happ is making eight. Uh, Pineda's been much more effective than Happ so far this year. Happ Happ's gone through a brutal stretch. Started the year well, um, and then has made several starts in a row that have been not good. Um, but I, I'd look there. Uh, somebody like that, I, I don't think you're going to have to give up a significant prospect for. I, I'd have to think the the Twins, uh, I don't know, would be kind of happy to unload salary at this point. I, I just don't think uh, they would have like a realistic path to getting back into it this season. And maybe you can capitalize on that. So, you know, and Pineda is not amazing or anything, but he's, he's a perfectly capable major league pitcher and you could use that. If Hap shows a little bit more and I've never been a, a big fan, like, you know, when Hap pitched against the Mets and pitched effectively, it was super frustrating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll second that. And, you know, it happened quite a bit over the years, but that that's sort of where I go. Um, there are some other pitchers out there who are who are similar to that. Um, you know, the biggest name uh, of a pitcher on an expiring contract that uh, is on a bad team is Max Scherzer. And it's just one of those things where I feel like if he's not a Yankee at the trade deadline, I would be shocked. Um, yeah. You know, and- we've seen that. We've yeah. seen them back off of pitchers in similar situations, but it just feels like that's kind of inevitable and, and giving up significant return for that level of pitcher to a division rival, uh, not the most comfortable thing in the world, you know? <laughs> no, I, that's exactly what I was about to say, is that for the Mets to get him, they'd have probably have to blow away the Nationals, and I also don't think the Mets have any real chance of signing Scherzer this offseason. So you're just, you're just trading for a rental at that point, and the amount you would need to give a division rival for that for that rental is not worth it to me. Yeah. There's part of me that thinks that the Nationals will hold on to him and then going into the uncertain uh, CBA negotiations, which, you know, have been a topic with Pete Alonso mentioning, yes, you know, at least his perceived uh, notion that the baseball is tailored each year to to play against the big name free agents, um, which I, look, I don't, I don't want to totally write it off. I know Gary and Ron were very skeptical in the in the open of the broadcast last night about it, um, or, or when they brought it up. I forget if it, exactly when it was, but um, you know, their point was like, it's nice that Pete Alonso thinks Major League Baseball has it that together that they could actually plan for that. <laughs> Right. Which was which was good. Gary has been uh, a pretty good critic of the league uh, consistently yes, when necessary, yes. but especially lately. Yeah. Well, I, I think there, I, I've seen a couple of people saying this, and I think this is the proper way to take the Alonzo comments, which is that even if those comments aren't true, enough people think they're true that Alonzo, who's not a hothead, was comfortable saying that in a press conference. Right. right, this isn't a fringe belief he has. He's not coming out as a UFO truther or something. This is something that people 
in baseball are talking about and that he felt comfortable enough. And granted, he's a pretty brave guy in terms of his public comments, but I still don't think he would have made that comment had he felt like it was like it was something that he was worried about the reaction from. So that means this is a pretty mainstream thought within baseball. And if the players think that, the league has to stop that. Right. If they're not doctoring the balls, which I don't know if they are or not, if they're not doing that, they have to get on the goodwill of the players and say, no, we would never do that, and here's proof that we didn't do that. Or at least, I don't know if there is such proof, but you understand what I'm saying. Just to, yeah. to get out in front of this. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the CBA is going to be a whole mess, and I, I kind of don't want to say too much about it now, because I think we're going to have an extra long offseason next year to talk about the CBA, unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll table it, I guess, for now. But yeah, no, the, the, some part of me thinks the Nationals might uh, wait, you know, hold them, wait to see, uh, and either work out a, a contract to finish his career or whatever the qualifying offer or free agent compensation type thing might look like. I, I don't know. I, I I could just see something like that happening where if there wasn't a tumultuous offseason ahead, you would look at this and say they'd be idiots not to trade them. Right. You know, they are they are bad. Also bad, the Marlins, who everybody falls in love with every spring. And yes. they're bad because <laughs> they're bad. Because you know they're bad. And for some reason, people just like to hype them up early. Well, they had them early, I think, for two reasons. First of all, the Marlins are never lacking in talent. There's always the pieces there to build around to make a great team. It's just never built around. And the second thing is it seems like every April and May, the Mets get the shit kicked out of them by the Marlins at least once or twice. <laughs> and so it's just, it's just you know, um, recency bias, looking at, a, a you know, a, a something that happened that shouldn't have happened, and then you start to think, well, maybe my team isn't bad. Maybe their team is good because that helps you sleep at night or whatever. But, yeah, I'm right, with you, dude. Right. The, uh, the Marlins are looking pretty bad right now. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So I, I want to talk about Billy McKinney, but kind of in a in a broader sense here. So the Mets have had extraordinary luck this offseason and so far early in this season picking up these role players for very little, whether it's 
you know, the the signing of the Tommy Hunters of the world in the offseason, or it's the acquisition of, you know, Billy McKinney, who hit <laughs> two home runs last night and continues to mash for the Mets. There's just been this really, really pleasant string of players that were low-risk, high-reward signings, and they're happening to work out right now. And I know there's no way to definitively answer this, but I'm really curious if we think that the Mets front office is doing something different and therefore getting better results, or if we think this is just the front office on a lucky streak where they keep rolling sevens. Hmm. I guess maybe a little bit of both. Which is not the strongest answer. <laughs> I tend to agree with you, though. Um, you know, I feel like you, McKinney is a is a perfect example of this. McKinney is a guy that I feel if they had traded for him and he got half the plate appearances that he's getting right now, he probably wouldn't be lighting the world on fire. He'd be a perfectly cromulent bench piece that would probably have a couple nice hits, and that would be that. But the Mets have had such large gaps in their in their roster due to the extended injuries of Conforto, McNeil, Nimmo, etc., etc., that McKinney's getting a, getting a chance to play every day. And because he's playing every day, the move looks brilliant. I think if if this if McKinney is still the starting right fielder in September, I think he comes back down to earth quite a bit. But I think that right now it's a combination of a hot hand, a new place, you know, a new a new setting, and just a team around him that is allowing him to not, you know, that's allowing him to succeed, but whether it's protection in the lineup, which I don't really believe in, or just a positive clubhouse, or whatever it is, I think that McKinney will wind up being a, a fun footnote in Mets history if Nimmo and Conforto come back this year. If they don't, I don't know how that looks. Similarly, you know, Tommy Hunter had that little dance he did at first base when he got his first hit, and he had a couple good appearances, and then he got hurt. And maybe he got hurt before he had a an infinite ERA inning that blew an important game for the Mets, right? It's just it's hard to tell whether this is all just small sample size theater or if this these are legitimate moves. And, you know, I, I kind of think about bands that break up after their first or second album, where they're held in such high high esteem because they never got the chance to to fuck it all up, right? Like they recorded one or two <laughs> records and they got out before they made the embarrassing synth pop album or, or, or whatever, you know, whatever sort of um, bad decision they made in year nine or year ten. And so it's hard to tell if these moves are are a result of just like I said, good luck and, and everything else, or if it's a a new approach by this front office. Whatever it is, it's wonderful. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, um, no, no. And you think back, uh, McKinney hit cleanup in his first game with the Mets, and yep. that wasn't that long ago, and it was <laughs> widely mocked, and and uh, you know, uh, discussed on on Mets Twitter, uh, but. Since then, it's just 12 games, but he's hit 275, 341, 700. Yep. <laughs> with four home runs. Um, and I think it is, it, it's it's a combination of 
being able to get somebody who can fill in on on the cheap and maybe they saw something there you know i don't i don't think he came over and they went like oh hey do this thing and then you're going to be you know one of the best hitters in baseball <laughs> right you know I don't, I don't think there's been a major tweak or adjustment or anything like that but um you know sometimes these things work out and you know like you were saying a lot of times when you, when it happens with this kind of a player it it tends to happen early because if it doesn't happen early, that player doesn't really play that much more. And then you forget that they were there, you know, exactly. Uh, yes. Whether it's a minor league call up or, or a role player type guy who comes to the organization in a, in a trade, there are some guys who I am sure like I thoroughly enjoyed uh, for like a month over the last decade. And now I might not remember they were Mets. Exactly. Uh, which is why we have a podcast called Unpermittable. <laughs> yes. What's up, Rob? Um, yeah, I mean, so, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I think that that's, that's well said. Um, but it does look kind of like the Mets are, are hitting a higher percentage of these. And we know that when Steve Cohen bought the team, he and Sandy Alderson beefed up the analytics department and put more emphasis on that than the Bertie Van Wagenen regime and at any time under the Wellpond ownership, you know, that they did. And so I wonder how much of that is, is a, um, is a result of good process. And I think we're going to need a couple more seasons before we can even begin to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah, no. And then, you know, just one thing too, and that this could be sort of just the luck of timing, um, or a combination of that and other teams crying poor coming off of 2020 and you know to be able to get Jonathan VR uh, on a on a cheap one-year deal uh, on a team where he came in knowing that he wasn't really getting a starting position uh, right obviously these things had they, they worked themselves out he's played a ton but somebody like that doesn't necessarily sign with the team where his two positions that he plays the most are blocked uh, by somebody else, Jose Peraza, you know, not that he was coming off his best work or anything, but he's a young enough guy with major league success that he might've said, you know what, I've got a better shot at, at making the roster and I want to be in the big leagues more than I want to be potentially in triple a in a, in a better, uh, organization, you know, at, at least in terms of the major league level. So uh, some of that stuff, I think, you know, there was some buzz. Steve Cohen buys the team. The Mets have this just new, you know, renewed energy about them. Um, and then I don't know if it's just uh, coincidence or that, you know, that vibe, to use one of their favorite words, out of the clubhouse. <laughs> yes. Coming, coming out, uh, out of the start of the Cohen era or just selling guys on – Hey, you know, New York City. Uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the season, it'll it'll look a lot more normal, uh, and and that could be appealing to some guys who haven't had the chance to play in New York. So I, I I don't know. I don't know what it is, but they were able to get guys who could have chosen to sign minor league deals anywhere um, to sign with them, which is which is definitely good, and. When you trade for guys, they, they don't have a choice. So, right, exactly. 
that um, helps. But you know, it does help. Yes, we're, we're seeing every la- la- every little bit of um, the depth they brought in, and then some. And so far, it's working. And you know, the the biggest thing I think is the Taiwan Walker signing so far, where. I don't know why they waited as long as they did, but the fact that Walker was still out there and, and they got him on a very reasonable contract and, and he's looking like, like one this, of the steals of right. the off season. Yeah, no it, big time. Um, I hate to keep bringing up on the podcast and I'm not pointing this at you. I'm putting this at, at lots of other people. How I was, I was high on Walker from his first spring start. And yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I, it's nice to be right about this stuff every once in a while. But it's just so much fun to watch him play. He's he's I, I forget who somebody on our staff said like he's the pitcher that I hate to watch because I feel like his stuff doesn't look good enough for the results he's getting. And so you spend the whole time watching him just waiting. Actually, because my my brother said this, like you spend your whole start waiting for him to leave a pitch too far over the plate because he's right on the edge of that. A lot of times, he doesn't have the hundred mile an hour fastball or the you know, um, you know. I, I have to give credit to Peterson. Peterson threw about five sliders on uh, Tuesday night that looked like I mean, eighty quality sliders, just really good back foot sliders. Walker doesn't really have those great pitches. He just makes it work. And I understand the the tightrope walk that you have to watch when he pitches. But I think we're far enough into the season now where you have to say this isn't a fluke. He did something when he came off of injury. Last season, he had a good shortened season. It looks like he has legitimately rebuilt the way he throws the baseball. And it looks really exciting to have him for another season and an equally you know uh at an equally affordable value and to know that the rotation at with nothing else guaranteed right now because Carrasco's health is still a big question mark to know you have DeGrom and Walker for next season makes the possible leaving of Stroman and Syndergaard a little bit easier to swallow though I think every day Syndergaard is out it becomes more likely he accepts the Mets qualifying offer for next year. Right. Or, or something. Or, or they sign him Whatever. to a, a deal of some kind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think I felt this way for a while and you don't see teams do it very much, but taking on a low risk contract in terms of the, the salary for the Mets um, while giving a guarantee of something to a guy who's in his position uh, just because that there's at least a little uncertainty there. You know, I know these guys are extremely confident in themselves. That's part of the reason they got there um, on top of their talent, but there's gotta be some doubt somewhere of, you know, Oh, am I, am I going to ever get that big payday? You know, especially when you were teammates with Matt Harvey. Right. Uh, and look, I mean, Matt Harvey has made a lot of m- money playing baseball um, you know, I think he'll be okay. Uh, it's still, it's a sad baseball story it to is. just see his, his body uh, fail him. Um, and, and we've seen it on a full display twice now yes. uh, as he pitched against the Mets. But, but yeah, I, I don't know, like 10, 12, 15 million, whatever it is, you know, it's not something that is way less than a pitcher of Syndergaard's talent would, uh, might otherwise get for just a year or two. 
uh, where you say, look, you know, we're going to see this through. And when, when you are ready, we want you to be a Met. And that's enough of a, a time period to say, okay, we can, we can figure out how healthy you are and, and what you might be able to do for the next five plus years, um, you know, within the next year or two. And when you have Steve Cohen's money to take a guy who's well liked by the fans and capable of being, uh, you know, a top twenty pitcher in baseball, I, I just don't see why you wouldn't do it. Um, but I would still not bet on having that happen. I agree. All right, Chris, what's your music pick for this week? So I had a different one, but then this was just too fitting based on your uh, your band analogy there a few minutes back. Okay. So Mission of Burma made some records early and took a long break, a very long break. They, uh, they made some great music before I was born or, or very slightly after uh, in the early 80s. And uh, Roger Miller had, you know, just like brutal tinnitus uh, and sort of shifted his whole, you know, just playing in a loud, like, just a loud rock band uh, wasn't working for him. Um, and I think that was the primary reason that they kind of called it quits for a while. Um, the members of the band made music in various other ways over the following couple of decades. And in 2004, they returned with On Off On, which is perfect for exactly this timeline of things. Uh, and it's a fantastic record. Uh, I had not, obviously downloading music was had been a thing for several years before this record came out, but for whatever reason, I read about Mission of Burma in Our Band Could Be Your Life, which is a book that I think everybody should read if they're into yes. any of this type of music. I so thought Ezra's fantastic oral history of the early days of the college radio alternative rock scene in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's pretty great. I need to go back and reread some of it because there's just some good stories in there. But I, I, I read the chapter on Mission of Burma. It was a summer where it was, between, you know, I'm, I'm home between semesters. Um, so I read the Burma chapter. They were playing Toad's Place in New Haven. And I was like, hmm, let me go. Like, I enjoyed reading about him. I didn't know the music very well. And, uh, and I was hooked. Um, so I think I want to, I've seen him probably... Jeez, at least a dozen, if not wow, close okay. to 20 times. <laughs> oh, but like pretty regularly, they would just come through. They'd play, you know, Barry or Music Hall in Williamsburg. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple other shows. I remember um, there was one show where it was a free show at the State Park in Williamsburg that's right on the river. Yep. Um yeah. It might just be like East River State Park or something. You yeah, know? I think it is. Yeah, and there were there were shows used to happen there before, like the fancy fancy buildings surrounded it, and then those people didn't want noise, and then they got moved down to like where it's you know, you, you have no view of anything. It's like blocked off by a warehouse. Right, right. Sucks in comparison to to what it was when it was right on the water there. Um, but the, there was one particular show where former Brooklyn Borough President uh, Marty Markowitz had a staff member who knew Burma either knew Burma or was just really good at writing puns, but like they, they knew Burma based on the, <laughs> the intro he gave them with like 25 song references about the set that they were about to play. <laughs> and like the fact that they were playing in Brooklyn and, and 
uh, yeah. Nice. That was uh, that was an interesting. It was a fun moment of of just ridiculousness. But anyway, on off on, it's great. It gets off to a good start right from the first song, and um, you know, I think I think some of some of their best work is on this record. And then they continue to make good music. Um, and they've kind of not done anything in a while again. So I still hope there's some more Burma shows in, in our future. But uh, if you're not familiar with them, check out on Off On. So uh, my pick, I saw a member of this band share a stage with Mission to Burma. Mission to Burma opened for one of this person's bands. So uh, recording this on uh, June 10th, Today is the birthday of two members of the Pixies, um, guitarist Joey Santiago and former bassist Kim Deal. And Kim is a twin. Kim and Kelly Deal are both born on this day. They have a band called The Breeders, who I hold in very, very high esteem. I absolutely love, love, love The Breeders. And my favorite Breeders album came out, I believe it was in June of 2001. So this is probably the 20th anniversary month. And I'm going to quickly, as as I chat, I will... uh, double check that but it's called title tk and it is the record that they made after a sort of a long hiatus as well and um kelly deal had just gotten off of heroin when it was uh may 21st 20, 2002 so we're 19 out of 19 years since this album was released but uh kelly deal had just gotten clean and kim and kelly had moved to los angeles and got a rhythm section that featured two members of the punk band fear as well as um, just this this really interesting lineup of guys. Two of the guys are actually from East L.A., and they are of Mexican-American descent. And it, it didn't substantially change the Breeders' sound. It's not like they started sounding like Fear. <laughs> she wasn't going, what do they want, what do they want, to start songs or anything like that. But, you know, there was a uh, there was a subtle shift in their, in their sound to a really more intricate. There's, at times, uh, th- three guitars playing at the same time, so they were able to do a lot of intricate playing and um it is probably the least heralded breeders record but by far my favorite um i remember listening to this in between again in between summers of colleges like going to my job in a movie theater i had a disc man because this is 2002 and i would listen to this like as i was walking around before my shift started or after my shift started um on my lunch break or whatever this is just like the soundtrack of the summer of 2002 to me and uh, part of it's produced by steve albini who's one of my favorite producers uh, and Kim Deal can do almost no wrong in my mind. So happy birthday, Kim, and check out the Breeders' title, TK. So thank you all so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Go to AmazingAvenue.com for all of your Mets needs. Find us on social media at Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We found out this week that Amazon Podcasts has our has our shows. How did we didn't know that before? I kind of don't know. I'm a little embarrassed, but you can find them there. Uh, you can find Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian. It's a nap. And until next time, let's go Mets.